Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. With the right instruction, can you travel around the universe at will? What is the Council of Eight, and who is Ort? Hello, and welcome to the 947th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON AM and FM Radio here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those surprising questions came from my co-host partner in the Paranormal uh, and dad, Paul. And today we welcome back an old and dear friend with a new tell-all book that could change the way you look at many, many things. Kathleen Marden is a major figure in the global UFO community. She is the Mutual UFO Network's Director of Experiencer Research and works with MUFON's Experiencer Resource Team. She is also the leading authority on the Betty and Barney Hill case of 1961, the first alien abduction affair to gain global media attention. Kathy also happens to be Betty and Barney's niece and was a close associate of the late Stanton T. Friedman. We're very proud to have Kathy as an occasional guest co-host on our show, and we welcome her as our guest today to talk about what I think is the the most earth-shaking book of the many she has written so far. Her website, Kathleen-Marden.com. So, Kathy Marden, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. It's great to be back with you. Oh, it's always great to have you here with us, and uh, I guess we'll, we'll just jump right into it. So, your book... Forbidden Knowledge uh, has some amazing revelations about your own ET experiences, which I recall you've, you've been asked for years to talk about, and just you know you finally sat down and, and you got into it. So what what prompted you to to write that book now? Well, the federal government and uh, many people who had high level positions in the federal government uh, have come forward, and they're saying that all of this is real. Uh, in fact, uh, a member of the CIA has recently stated that many members of the federal government and intelligence agencies have had their own contact experiences, and uh, this is being taken seriously now. It's not uh, a topic of ridicule by the federal government any longer, and that's a very important step forward because I'm not doing this for attention in any way. I'm simply coming clean with what I know about all of this after having experienced it for most of my lifetime. Mm. Well, that, that uh, leads into my question, Kathy. Um, and, and, you know, we've known you for a lot of years now, and, and you've uh, always said that there were a lot of things that you have never said publicly, and of course I, I believe you're saying them in this book. Mm. Before you get into, uh, before, uh, in the book, before you get into the things that really knocked me sideways, uh, were, um, was information about your own childhood and youth and ongoing family involvement with contact that went beyond the Betty and Barney Hill case. You know, it's, just, it's like the Bridgeport poltergeist, people fixate on, on the heart of the case and that they don't, either don't know or are not told about the other phenomena that are going on around it. Mm. So that, I think that's the case with Betty and Barney Hill. A lot of people don't realize that Kathy's family was a, a subject to this in many ways for many years. Can you uh, summarize as much as you can about those early years for you? Uh, well, it depends upon 
uh, how early you're talking about, but uh, I was raised on a farm. I was a good student in school. I was active in my church. In fact, when I was a teenager, I I helped uh, with the Sunday school uh, children and uh, was active in uh, school affairs. I was on the student council. So in every way, my life was uh, normal. But when I was 13, this happened to Betty and Barney. And I wrote in the book that I believe that my first out-of-body experience occurred when I was about 13 or so. Uh, I was uh, helping out at school with the, the students and uh, I was a lunchroom sort of monitor, a student who helped the little kids. I, I was very mature always. And sometimes I even sat in for one of the teachers uh, while she had her lunch in her classroom. So, uh, you know, uh, for some reason I suddenly found myself on the ceiling looking down I'll never forget it because I don't recall ever having that experience before. But I'm not sure when my experiences with ETs or what I think are ETs began under hypnosis. I said I was three. And I had another uh, experience when I was young. But in my conscious recall, I was 17. And... uh, We had, as a family, observed a craft in February of 1965, and uh, it came in fairly close to us. My Aunt Betty was there, my grandmother, my mother, my uh, younger brother, and I and a family friend. Now, only a couple of months later, a craft landed on my grandparents' farm. And I have written about how Betty was working with a team of scientists attempting to call in uh, craft to uh, show itself or to land. And this was happening uh, very frequently, it seems, during her experiments uh, in this southeastern portion of New Hampshire. Uh, She was doing her experiments when the incident at Exeter took place. Uh, There were many sightings and close encounters in that time frame. And uh, there were two witnesses to this craft that landed on my grandparents' farm. It left physical trace evidence on the ground. And what I never spoke of is that my mother and I found ourselves on that craft that night. I'm not certain how I got to the craft, if I was walked or floated or what happened. I remembered only that I was on a table and there were these entities around me. And it was so perplexing and extraordinarily frightening that I couldn't speak of it to other people for a long time. And the only way, as a teenager, that I could make any sense of this was uh, to wonder if my mother 
had had a surgical team come into my home and can and uh, do surgery on me in the middle of the night and certainly that was not rational certainly my memory was not of being in my room it was being on uh, a narrow sort of table of gurney with these uh, non-humans around me but I did have physical sensations the next day that confirmed that some kind of surgery appeared to have been done on me Okay, and and these experiences continued into uh, adulthood and into marriage. And uh, I suppose, given our time limits, we should fast forward to the Kevin era uh, of the more uh, recent years. Could you describe how um, you and Denise Stoner, another dear friend of ours, met uh, Kevin, who Kevin uh, is, and uh, what began with him? Well, Kevin Briggs uh, was uh, raised in the UK and he uh, grew up to become a police officer. His wife is a, uh, was a college teacher and she worked um, in research projects as well at the university. And they moved to the United States about uh, at least 25 years ago. Now, I met Kevin through Dr. Melanie Barton Bragg. And Melanie is a psychotherapist who is uh, a referral for the ERT. Uh, she lives in Florida, in Tallahassee. And she had gone to MUFON's experience or uh, MUFON's uh, symposium in 2015. And I was there, but I was speaking, so I didn't meet Kevin. Uh, Kevin did go to Denise's, Denise Stoner's uh, group for experiencers and spoke there. This is how Denise met him. And uh, Melanie was having lunch, and Kevin wanted to have lunch, but there was no place to sit. So he noticed there was a seat available at Melanie's table, and he asked if he could join her. And so she and the other women she was sitting with uh, said, yes, please do. And this is how Melanie met Kevin. I didn't meet Kevin there. Uh, it was after that, after the symposium, when uh, Melanie called me and told me that she had met Kevin and uh, she would be interested in having me meet him over lunch. So she was going to drive that three hours down to this area where I live in, in central Florida, uh, west of Orlando, uh, and have lunch with Kevin. I agreed to do this, uh, but I wanted Denise to be there as well because the two of us worked very closely. I knew nothing about Kevin at that time. Uh, so we did have lunch together. And he talked about being an experiencer and how when he was a young boy, about eight years old in the UK, uh, he was in the bath and uh, these two tall human-like figures 
simply materialized in front of him and scared the wits out of him. And how later, one of them came back as a conscious orb. His name was Ort. And he taught Kevin how to astral travel. And he said that he was an Arcturian and uh, that he had a count female counterpart named Dee, and Dee was one of those two who appeared to Kevin as very tall humans with eyes that are larger than humans, but uh, project themselves as being uh, very kind and compassionate. So uh, I was highly skeptical, I have to say, of Kevin, that uh, I didn't know if he was delusional when I met him, if he was uh, simply a fraud perpetrating a hoax in order to gain attention and perhaps money for himself. But I said, okay, you know, Melanie, since you want me to do this, I will. And since you're a psychotherapist, perhaps you will be good at evaluating Kevin and who he is. So Denise, Melanie, and I met with Kevin several times for lunch and then the conversation became so lively that I invited everyone to come back to my home. This time, we're sitting in my living room, and we're asking Kevin questions. And then, uh, either Melanie or, I think it was Melanie, said, do you realize what is going on here? And I said, no, I, I have no idea. All I know is we're having a conversation with Kevin. And uh, the other two, Denise and Melanie, said, Kevin is channeling. He's channeling information. Kevin had never channeled before. And I had worked with a man in Australia who claimed to be channeling information from ETs. And in 2000. I believe it was in fact I had been very ill and they healed me they came to me in the night and healed me uh, but with with Kevin you know that's another story and so uh, I was interested I was curious in fact I hypnotized him about an experience he had as a paper boy teenager in the UK where he had a missing time experience after uh, seeing a craft landing in or hovering over a nearby park. And under hypnosis, you know, this is later, and uh, Kevin uh, relived this experience. And the, he, the, he said that this is the first time that he met the Council of Eight and that they were here to a guide and assist us. So I thought, well... You know, we could do this with Kevin. We were invited to meet the Council of Eight, to learn about them. And I thought, I only want to do this if we are able to explore this scientifically, if we can collect scientific evidence. And certainly I, had, I was aware of an experiment that was done by Admiral Herbert Knowles, who is actually a rear admiral, we just called him Admiral Knowles, uh, from southern Maine, uh, who worked with Wilbert Smith, who 
was a brilliant engineer from the Canadian government who worked on the UFO investigations for the Canadian government. And uh, so I thought, you know, since they did this, since there was interest in our government, I will try this, but I'll never tell anybody about it because mm. I risked my reputation. And I've, over many, many years, earned a very good reputation as a researcher. Yes, indeed. I never thought I would come forward with this information that is in my book. That's what shocked me so much. But uh, what what you say about the Council of Eight, Kathy, gets right into uh, some questions from Peter Shelley, our, uh, our good friend in Bogota, Colombia, occasional co-host. Ben, if you would be so kind. Sure thing. Okie dokie. Uh, so, Peter writes to us, Regarding the subject of the Council of Eight, what do you make of the fact that before Kevin Briggs appeared on the scene, there was an earlier book by Stanley Fulham uh, describing a channeler of an alien Council of Eight and a similar intention to address the United Nations and uh, dated predictions of global sightings? And uh, this, uh, the Council of Eight being a group of aliens of different species uh, I've seen in the book, uh, who uh, were the contacts there. So, Kathy, go ahead. Yes, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that this was attempted uh, at an earlier time, and it uh, it didn't take place. Uh, and I don't know if it will now. I know that this current Council of Eight speaks about the reveal, that they w- would like to... Uh, meet with the United Nations. I know that they attempted to do this in 2020, and the United Nations would not invite them to meet with them. I realize that uh, among the researchers in the federal government that uh, there is a great deal of concern about who these entities actually are. Are they extraterrestrials, as they say? Are they interdimensional extraterrestrials, as they say? Or are they, are they something else? Uh, we don't know. And I'm, I know that members of the federal government are extraordinarily apprehensive about jumping in to anything that could potentially be dangerous because the job of our federal government and our military forces is to protect us. And without a good understanding of what this is all about and who these actually are, they're not going to take that leap. They wouldn't in the past, and they're not going to do it now. Okay, let's pause to take our perspective on this. And uh, I don't know, Ben has had ET experiences he's never said uh, like this. Uh, and our experience is primarily through, you know, lots of contact with non-human entities, but not necessarily in the context of UFOs and that sort of thing. We've talked about all this in the past. Um, it, it sounds like the, the conversations with Kevin are a good old-fashioned seance, and, you know, that for us, rightly or wrong, that sends up a red flag. However, you have said in the book, too, that, Independent phenomena have lent credence to what you have heard through Kevin, you know, and um, 
is, is you know we, we also keep in mind the trickster phenomenon which I know some government people do too uh, what say you on all that are you still skeptical uh, and are you accepting now more readily what this Council of Eight is saying through Kevin? I remain skeptical about who they actually are. They have shown us evidence. Uh, we used a laser thermometer when each of them came into the room to introduce themselves speaking through Kevin. In the area of the room where they were standing, we measured a significant temperature increase. They said there were fifth and sixth dimensionals. There was also a ninth dimensional, and there was even a higher temperature increase with the ninth dimensional who came into that area of the room. So we know that they there is something there. We have seen uh, them in shadow or not all of them, but a couple of them, in shadow. Uh, one of them, the ninth dimensional, actually in shadow looks like an angel. And we have uh, been able to uh, physically feel the presence through a strong electrical tingling sensation in our bodies. I, I need more information about that. I know who they, that they're there. I know that they're physical. I know that they have uh, communicated with me telepathically. They showed each of us a craft, but not close enough for me to accept this. I wanted a close-up of an extraterrestrial craft, not a light in the sky. One came, uh, they said they were coming to me to look out the window. I did. I saw a red orb that grew larger and larger and larger and then finally exploded and was disappeared. Uh, so we, I have this, Melanie, Denise, have this kind of evidence uh, there are other things that have happened. There is a trickster element, particularly with Melanie, uh, where this, uh, as Kevin says, uh, the entity named uh, Zark, who has uh, a great sense of humor, takes things that belong to, to Melanie. And uh, I think that she kind of gets a kick out of it. And, oh, it's you, Zark. You've taken my jewelry again. I oh, want it dear, back. Oh, dear. You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, she will have uh, laid out her jewelry. She'll go to the shower. Uh, and when she comes back, that jewelry that she has just laid out is missing. Or one of her earrings is missing. And she knows it is has been there. And it does get returned. But... So what is that? What is that trickster element? You know, it raises uh, a lot of questions. Yeah. Yet at the same time, they've healed us of illness. Well, there are, uh, Ben, why don't you uh, take one more question from Peter, and then you, you yourself get in here. I've been monopolizing the... Uh, oh, no, no worries. I'm... Uh, Fortunately, this this is this, we've already kind of been talking about this a little bit. But uh, Peter's second question is: During the two years of meetings, was any physical evidence uh, of the phenomena seen? Which you, you kind of got into, yeah. but you know, I, I, guess, I guess if you want to expand on it a little more, you're more than welcome to. 
yes, the, all of us, there is more. Uh, and I wrote about all of this in the book. And I've spoken before, I believe, on your show about how I went out onto my uh, back deck at 5 o'clock in the morning uh, to be shown a craft by the council. And I didn't see a craft. I saw uh, turbulence on the lake in, in a giant circle. It wasn't the kind of turbulence that a duck paddling around makes. This was a circle with a great deal of turbulence. And I didn't know what that was. Was that, uh, couldn't have been a school of fish. I was trying to find a prosaic explanation for it. Initially, I thought, is a craft going to rise up out of the water in the shallow lake? that I live on, and that didn't happen. Uh, I did feel that strong tingling of Zark beside me, uh, and but Zark thought it was his energy that was causing that. It was not a craft. And then I was later informed that uh, there were people who were already awake, who lived on the lake, and and so they decided that they would not show their craft to me. Now, why wouldn't they? They Sometimes they show craft to a lot of people. Maybe this is a different group. Uh, but, you know, I, have, I still have many questions. I'm naturally skeptical. Mm-hmm. And I've always been very scientifically in my, in scientific in my approach to all of this. Yes. Well, let's take our uh, mid-show break here. And then we want to get into some other questions as well. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful but ridiculously hot Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with Kathy Martin, so stick with us. night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on WON AM and FM Radio. And our, our wonderful guest today, Kathleen Martin, talking about her book, new book, Forbidden Knowledge, which anybody who's watching the video feed, I'm holding up the book right now. And there you have it. And Kathy, where can people get the book and find out more about you? Uh, the book is available on Amazon in uh, soft cover and in as an ebook, And you can also purchase autographed copies on my website at Kathleen-Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N.com. Okay, I'm going to ask one more question, then I'm going to turn it over to Ben. So what messages, what's the word from the Council of Eight uh, to and through your group? My gosh, in the book, uh, we have 120 questions and your questions ask. are better than their answers, in my opinion. <laughs> and uh, they're uh, so oftentimes detailed answers to those questions. 
some of them were not good answers. Some of them were very good answers, I think. Um, they said that they were here to guide and assist us and uh, that they had reached out to uh, our governments and our major businesses around, business people around the world, and they have not succeeded in interesting uh, any of them. They said that they uh, have turned off our nukes and uh, turned them, put them online, uh, scaring both the Soviet Union back, you know, before it was Russia, and the United States. They say uh, many things about showing themselves, but that they, uh, the governments know who they are, but do not want to admit that they are here. Well, since then, the government of the United States is admitting that uh, something is happening here. Uh, and that they have a serious interest in this. So, you know, if they're meeting with the Council of Eight, it's secretly. Let me put it that way. Hmm. Um, but uh, I think that they had some interesting answers. They taught us about the dimensions. They taught us about consciousness. Uh, they taught us about uh, many things. They answered our questions. But uh, they... They also say that there are some types of entities who refuse to be on the Council of Eight. And those are uh, the types of entities that they have to hold at bay. The reptilians who are, uh, feel that they own this planet and everything on it and, and can take whatever they want. The Council of Eight represents itself as being a benevolent group who are in charge of uh, protecting this quadrant of our galaxy, that uh, there are seven extraterrestrials, and there are of different types, and there is uh, one ninth dimensional who sort of oversees the Council of Eight, and that that ninth dimensional uh, has not had a body in thousands of years. Uh, but he was here in our ancient times, and uh, that uh, he he is just part of this protective force of the universe. That's what they claim. They say, claim that they are associated with this uh, federation of extraterrestrials. Uh, and you know, is this? Are they lying? Are they telling the truth? I can't tell you what the answer is, but their answers were extraordinarily interesting. And the physical evidence that we received was interesting to us. The only thing that I cannot answer is whether or not they're being truthful and whether or not they are actually a protective force of the universe extraterrestrials. Mm. This is inter in interesting stuff because it sounds, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds a lot like a lot of other stories I've heard before, but you change the words around. So instead of Council of Eight, you have a pantheon. And instead of, you know, you have lizards, you have giants or monsters that are being, are being fought off. 
while this sort of pantheon or council orders the rest of the world around them, right? You know, they, they, they protect the inside from the outside, whatever the outside may be at its, at its barest terms. Now, it, does, it doesn't sound too, too different from a lot, of, a lot of things I've heard. Um, it sounds like they, they function almost like a, a, a pantheon in a way. Is that, is that incorrect? No, I think that you are correct uh, in that. And way back in 1954, the same kind of information was being offered to the U.S. government through uh, Admiral Knowles, through Wilbert Spith, and through the uh, through naval intelligence, who became involved in this, the CIA became involved in this. I have the FBI's records on this, and I have the uh, correspondence files between Admiral Knowles and Wilbert Smith, and they were looking for scientific evidence from uh, sort of a council of extraterrestrials who said that they were here to guide and assist in our development. Hmm. The same types of messages. And this is why I became interested in this. Uh, I haven't gotten more information. Well, I guess I have gotten more information than Admiral Knowles and and, uh, Wilbert Smith uh, obtained in that time frame. Probably asking the right questions. As as far as I know. they they knew that there was something. There's something there. In fact, that information went to Dwight Eisenhower, who was president in, in that time frame, through Margaret Chase Smith, uh, the, the senator from Maine. Uh, but uh, the government decided not to meet with them in that time frame. They did express uh, with the same uh, concern about our use of nuclear weapons that the Council of Eight is expressing. Mm. They talk about how uh, the detonation of nuclear weapons collapses our magnetic fault lines and causes damage out into the universe mm. through the dimensions. So that makes me, you know, my whole question is, are these interdimensional entities who reside on this planet, is their interest in speaking with us an attempt to protect themselves from human technology, technological development that uh, sort of runs rampant and and, uh without a a great deal of thought about the consequences Mm. of our behavior, are they really extraterrestrials? You know, what are they and why are they giving us these messages that have carried through uh, since, you know, who knows how long, at least back to 1954, and I'm aware of, uh, people who have communicated with these so-called ETs or councils or uh, pantheons or whatever uh, through history. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I I do I do that that is that is really true. And there's there's always this theme, and and we as humans do it too. There's sort of two reasons why why we do things. One is to protect the integrity of our being, and then the other is to expand our being. 
and we we sort of we go through this process of of kind of protection or expansion. And so in in this case nothing is is entirely altruistic. <laughs> and if and if if this is to be believed, you know, I mean it, it would make sense. I mean it's how, how we talk to other nations, right? You know, you go down to any any country in South America and it's like, "Well, we want to help you, but it's only so we can like, you know, protect ourselves from X Y and Z." So it's like, you know, you get something, we get something. Mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't be surprised. One thing I'm I'm really curious about is did they offer any expl- explanation or any sort of way in which they they presented themselves to the the nations of the world? You know, they they, they seem to have this sort of um, they do have bodies in a sense, but in a sense that they're sort of a, a collection of of powers and, and potentialities. You know, to to be able to manipulate the world around them. Whatever that may be, right? So if if that's if that's the case, they have bodies in some way, shape, or form, right? So if so, how di- how did they present themselves? Did they offer any explanation on that? Uh, they want to meet with the United Nations. They represented themselves that this way. Uh, since they vibrate at a higher frequency, they would have to lower their vibrational frequency to come into our environment to meet with the United Nations. And they had developed a a whole protocol on how they wanted to do this, but the United Nations uh, would not respond, was not interested. And I recently um, listened to a show with Jim Semivan, who was a senior intelligence officer in the CIA, worked for the CIA all of his life. And he was asked this question about uh, these entities who want to meet with the United Nations. And what he said is that this is potentially extraordinarily dangerous, that we do not yet know if they're benevolent if they're malevolent. We are not certain what their intentions are, even though uh, they have been in contact or have imposed their contact on many people in the federal government who work for the federal government. This happened to Jim Summerman and his wife back in the 1990s where these entities appeared in their bedroom and uh, had a continuing relationship with them. So, uh, you know, I, I always try to present uh, the answer to this. I can tell you that the Council of Eight feels positive to all of us uh, who uh, had contact with the Council of Eight I have felt the negative. I have felt evil. In fact, I even had to have evil detached from me one time. And it was a representative of the Council of Eight who removed that evil that attached to me. But, uh, you know, so I say, from my knowledge of the Council of Eight, they are benevolent. They are positive. They did this for me, and to everyone involved. And we had an extended group, you'll read about it, in in Forbidden Knowledge, 
uh, we invited other people in. We invited skeptics and we invited experiences. We invited people who are remote viewers as we expanded the group. This felt positive to everyone uh, who encountered it. Hmm. There's a there's a fun fun sort of uh, narrative I, I heard in a lecture a while ago, and it was talking about um, <clears throat> how how the the our, our ancient ancestors you know dealt with with cosmic entities, right? Uh, and the first thing they would do so that they didn't get destroyed was offer them food, right? So you know it's yeah it's like someone walks into your house. And what's the first thing you do? You offer them something to drink, something to eat, maybe, and and you know that's that's just kind of like common courtesy. And you do the same thing with cosmic entities, right? You know, because you don't want to be destroyed. And um, I I find it fascinating because you're still skeptical about it, which I appreciate. And it's and you know you you experience this, not us. Um, I I wonder though, all of these stories and all of these patterns always repeat themselves throughout history we say it all the time you know history repeats itself it's kind of one of those sort of cliches that we say all the time and we never really take the time to you know really s- let that sink in and, and what it means right what, what does it mean that history constantly repeats itself it is because there are patterns all throughout human life that 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 are just constant they are constant they're always there and they always will be there and in a sense this is probably the most, probably one of the most ancient human experiences you could have, really, because you're you're interacting with a pantheon of cosmic beings, you know, you're you're deal, dealing with the with these these entities in a way that's that that is reminiscent of of you know, say Greeks you know running around and, and running into Pan and Pan says, hey, go build me a temple, kid, and so you go and you do it, then you go and you build you build a big statue, and then you do this whole song and dance about. Uh, <laughs> About getting opening of the nostrils and getting Pan to exist within that 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 big statue and etc. So, in that sense, it's it's fun because it's it it does this does two things. One, it, it lends credence to a lot of ancient experiences that people have had. Different terms, albeit right, because it's like usually you'll you'll look at it and you'll say, oh well, they're just coming up with allegories for I don't know thunder and lightning in natural phenomena because they were dum dums and they don't know anything, but they were interacting with something, you know, whether it's the Council of Eight or whatever, what have you, right? There was some really dark stuff that went on and some not so dark stuff, but at the same time, you you have you have your oracles. If you permit me to say that Kevin could be an oracle in this in this sort of in this sort of way. He he deals directly with the lowercase g gods or the the Council of Eight. You have. All of these other, all of these other other groups that are that are kind of dealing with them, they're like, well, we don't know if we really trust these things, and it, it was the same back in the day, right? Fun fact: uh, in Egypt, and I forget what temple what temple it was, the any, any of the uh, conquered nations would have their their the god their gods names put on the wall. So like so you know the people of I don't know one of them was Yahoo, which could be roughly be translated to Yahweh. Was was inscribed on the wall that you know we we defeated the people of Yahoo in the land of Yahoo and, and whatever and that's enough you know they would they would take these things and say well we we defeated you and we took your gods and they're ours now and that's like kind of your thing and so where I'm going with all this is you couldn't trust cosmic ben- entities back in the day because you didn't know if they were going to help you or or. <laughs> Or, or lead you in a real, real bad direction. Um, sometimes they would help. Sometimes they wouldn't. 
uh, it kind of depended on the whim and if the food was good. And uh, if you burned it with the right right kind of oil, and if they were they were feeling benevolent, otherwise you know you'd have you'd have Zeus doing all the all the junk that he would do, and and all the demigods running around and all that. Um, but at the same time, it's like you, you you can't. I just I just don't I don't trust anything that says that doesn't meet you where you are, right? If if something's not able to meet you where you are, you can't trust them, right? It's like someone over the internet saying to you, "Hi, my name is Ben. I'm a 35 year old, you know, like engineer, and I do all this stuff." And then you meet them, and you're like, "Oh, you're nothing like that at all. You're you just you, you work in a comic book store." <laughs> like, <laughs> you it's 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 the same now, right? You know, you're 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 dealing with these entities. You have evidence that they're that they're there, but at the same time, it's like you know. It's like provide us a sign, do something, right? Be benevolent, and so they do things. But at the same time, if they're not willing to meet you where you are, how can you trust them, right? So if they're not w- not willing to meet you, face, you know, in, in a way that's face to face, you know, defenseless, essentially, right? You know, it's why we shake hands. We show we don't have weapons. <laughs> like, we we show that we're sharing our power because back in the day, and still does, our right hand still symbolizes power. You know, we're sharing our power with other people. So, so in this instance, part, you know, my, I'm very skeptical because I just don't trust things that don't meet me where I am. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Well, uh, right after I read your book, Kathy, I immediately picked up Preston Dennett's new book, Symmetry. And uh, ironically, uh, or, or interestingly, uh, you and Preston, and, and me too for that matter, all work with the ex- experience and resource team of MUFON. So we all know each other. And uh, Preston's book really has a, a not too different message, but a very, very, very different set of ETs that not he, but but his uh, subject of his book uh, is, is working on. And we're going to have Preston and hopefully Dolly, the subject, uh, on the June 26th show. Mm. But... Uh, that's one pattern too that I've noticed that it's all the narratives are somewhat different. Although the message is the same, you know, protect the earth, they care, protect each other, that sort of thing. All very beneficial. But um, I, mean, I don't know if you've read Preston's new book, but I mean, it's uh, it's quite a different narrative. There's no federation. Uh, she presents the uh, the vision of a totally uh, utopian society, which makes me suspicious. And a bunch of other things of that kind. Why is it always a different narrative? What are we supposed to believe? Those of it's us who don't experience. It's not always a different narrative. There are different groups. And I'm in the middle of reading that book. I've read about half of it. Okay. And uh, Dolly has an interesting history. Uh, and uh, you know she's uh, special. They they have uh, taught her how to fly the craft. And that sort of thing. It seems to me that there are various levels of engagement. That Mm. some of these experiencers of contact are very close to these entities. Maybe they were created by them. Uh, I don't know. But um, when it comes down to the difference between what Dolly has experienced and what... uh, and this council of eight, all I can say is the council of eight 
claims that they uh, are of a higher vibrational frequency and that if we can raise our frequency high enough, we will be able to see them. The greatest disappointment of our group of researchers is that we have not been able to see them as living entities standing in front of us. We have not been taken to their craft, to that dimension. Now, we have all asked for that. We have informed them that as humans, that is something that we require as evidence. And they say, am I standing here uh, speaking to you, not evidence enough? and, you know, this very bold voice. And we say, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) We're humans. We need more evidence. We look to the physical. And, you know, so they essentially, if you can raise yourself up through meditation, through love, you can raise your vibrational frequency high enough we will be visible to you. I can feel them. I feel them every day. Something is with me, and something is positive. And I feel that uh, kind of tingling in my crown chakra, especially when I'm speaking or hearing something where the answer is yes, where it's uh, positive. Um I can hear tones in my head that I hadn't heard previously. Since I have been in contact with this Council of Eight, I have not been abducted. So I can say that, you know, that's something positive that has happened. I, you know, the abduction experience was not something that I desired, uh, even though they uh, projected love toward me. I, I didn't trust it. And, but I, ha- I am more trusting toward it, this Council of Eight because it protects me and has demonstrated that it can protect me against uh, negativity, so, against abduction. So, so, Kathy, what for you and Denise and the group and Kevin, what is your next step? Uh, right now, we are just meeting a couple of times a year to further explore this. We are exploring it through meditation um, and uh, where we reach out to them. Uh, but I cannot determine what my next step is. None of us can. Uh, will they give us additional evidence or not? I, I really can't say. Okay. So it's there, and it's not something where I can uh, establish a goal and know that I will in any way be able to fulfill that requirement. Now, I very much look forward to your presentation this evening to the uh, to the ERT. Uh, it's not open to the public, but uh, uh, I, it's ironic that we're doing this, this show on the same subject yes. today. I told the rest of the group that we're doing this. So uh, I, all I can say is that we've known you for many years as a person of integrity and honesty and feet on the ground, 
healthy skepticism, and, and, and we continue to respect you for that. Mm. And um, thank you. Let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Okay, okay I will. Great. So I will. we'll. Uh, I'll. I'll see you tonight. I'll see you tonight, and also at the Exeter UFO Festival over Labor Day weekend. Oh, absolutely! Oh, yeah. Very much looking, looking forward, forward to, to that. that. Yeah, we have a big announcement about that coming right up. Mm. So uh, very good. Okay, I've been speaking of announcements. Yes. So, the speaking of the Exeter UFO Festival, here we are talking about it right now. Uh, and that is back on after a two-year hiatus. Jeez. Uh, and that, that will center at the Exeter, the historic Exeter New Hampshire Town Hall over Labor Day weekend, September 3rd and 4th. More information will be forthcoming. This is a great event sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. Kathy Martin will be there, of course. Uh, and... Uh, We'll plan to be there as well, and we plan to do our uh, traditional live broadcast from this event on Sunday with a panel of the speakers. The subject of our talk will be time storms, uh, with many thanks to the great Briti- British researcher, Jenny Randalls, who coined the term. Uh, Kathy, have, have you planned your topic yet? Uh, I am not certain what I'm going to speak about. I uh, think I'm going to leave it up to the uh, people who are in charge of the conference. I have two extraordinarily interesting uh, lectures that I've prepared and PowerPoint presentations. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, sorry, we'll <laughs> didn't mean to put you on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> sure, he did. Uh, maybe I did. So uh, this is a very fun event, and the whole town gets involved. Uh, restaurants serve things like Roswell Burgers, Final Frontier Franks, and uh, Alien Crunch Ice Cream. Uh, more information to come, and you can visit ExeterUFOFestival.org. And you're getting old, then. You can't afford to lose two years of anything. Right? No. <laughs> so visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,100 hours of our regular shows, many of them with Kathy, and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON AM and FM, including those that have been restored in the archives there. Uh, also, uh, hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. You can download our show app. It doesn't do much, but it's free, so... What, 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 what do you what, what, want for nothing, want? right? <laughs> uh, it's at com, right there on the main page. And you can browse our books on that site, too, along with the, those of our guest co-hosts at our show website. Behind the Paranormal... Oh, we have to... Well, Kathy's a guest co-host. We have to get forbidden knowledge up on that site. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. Get, the, we'll get it on there. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, and also, you can check out our cases and public appearances and how to book us. Indeed. And uh, our show website has a charity page with several links, uh, including several good causes that we have adopted over the years, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, the Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund. So in this temperature, I like to think of freezers. So what's in the freezer for next week, then? Oh, well, we have some uh, we have some great stuff in there, some freeze pops and popsicles. And next uh, week, that's May 29th, Memorial Day weekend uh, in the here in the U.S., so we will present a rebroadcast of our eye-opening show uh, with British consciousness researcher Anthony Peake, Cheating the Ferryman, uh, from our February 20th show. And we will be back live on June 5th for our 14th anniversary show with our good friend, uh, Reverend Michael J.S. Carter from the History Channel's Ancient Aliens series. Then we'll start our 15th year. Time flies or you're having fun. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, That's yeah, the first time we've had him on, too, right? It is. We've become very good friends with him. He's uh, He speaks our language because, you know, we, we're uh, both into theology. And of course yeah, yeah. 
he's a minister, so that was so it's good. it's kind of like a, a convergence of minds, if you will. Well, such as ours are, yeah, I okay. suppose. All right. Anyway, uh, we leave you today with a thought from none other than Albert Einstein. Speaking of minds, the important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. And uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our wild ride of a show and our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.